0: You're following along, John, chapter 17, verses 17 through 19. Jesus says, Sanctify them in in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So just by reading that passage, you can kind of see where the main idea is going to be coming from. But whenever, whenever I do an opening sermon illustration, it's always like the hardest, because you, you want an opening sermon illustration to do a few things. Number one, you want it to really grab your attention, um, but you want it to be very relatable so that you can understand it. Um, but most importantly, you want it to connect to the text, Right? That's the whole goal of preaching is to not put our own ideas into Scripture, but allow Scripture to, to bring forth those ideas, and hopefully they come out in a sermon. Sometimes it works, sometimes not so much. But it's always, I love it when I can find an illustration that is right before our eyes, that is happening amongst our people. I want to say, if you, ha- if you don't know our youth group, I would encourage you to get to know our youth group. We, we have an absolutely wonderful, mature, godly youth group. I have been so blessed, and I know Sarah has been so blessed, and Patrick and Shirley and Ian and Barbara and Corey. We have been so blessed in leading these individuals. and, and the, I'll tell you something, the church is in good hands, folks. They, they are just a wonderful, godly, mature group of kids. I cannot sing their praises enough. We've just thoroughly enjoyed them. And, and, and this past week, I was encouraged even more. So I've seen, I'm sure you've seen Emma Barr up here and blessing us and sharing her gift of sign language and doing that in worship. And, and Emma and Barbara... Pulled me aside the other day, and they 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 said something that just encouraged my heart. And they said they they kind of believe Emma believes that she's being called into missions, and not just not just any mission. So it was funny when they were talking about using her gifts, right? The gift of sign language that she has, using her gifts, and then. Focusing on using those gifts to expand God's kingdom and to promote the gospel. So they were talking about that. And then the very next day, someone brought them information of a sign language ministry in Estonia. I think it's Estonia. So now whether she goes or not, whatever, whatever happens, th- that should just really encourage our hearts. Let me listen to what Jesus says in 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. This is the main thrust of this passage. What is he saying there? Well, I'll tell you something. What he's saying is what we're seeing being lived out before our eyes. You see, when I called Ian to ask if I could use Emma as an illustration, I had another question if he said yes. And my question to follow that was, because here she is, she's, how how old are you? 14 years old. 14 years old, and she is thinking of devoting her life to God's kingdom work. The work of his kingdom is the priority on this 14-year-old girl's mind. So I followed up with the question to Ian. I said, I think I already know the answer. I said, can you tell me how much time does she spend in God's word? and his response was something like oh heavens <laughs> and he said conservatively I think yeah. he said well she spends at least at least an hour a day in the bible and that's not including all the other devotionals and all the other the other missionary biographies that i know she's reading because i've been giving i gave her one and he actually said she's a voracious reader what's happening I'll tell you what's happening. This is happening. The more time that we spend in God's Word and the more time that you and I allow His Word to infiltrate our lives, the more time we live in the sphere, in the existence of His truth, the more we are going to set ourselves apart for His work. God's word sets us apart for his work, and we are watching it, watching it happen right before our very eyes. Notice what Jesus says here. Set them apart. Consecrate them. Sanctify them for your use in your truth. The word is the means in which that happens. The more that you and I immerse ourselves in the word... The less we're going to immerse ourselves in the world, and the more we are going to be used by Him. As He talks to His about uh, praise for His disciples, God's word is the means in which cleanses us and purifies us and reminds us of the purpose that we are here. So, sanctification in this context does not necessarily focus on purity. What he's focused on is purpose. And we see one of the main aspects of our salvation is so that we can be used of God for his kingdom. Your kingdom is all that matters. Brian McDougall came up to me the other day and said the reason for the men's retreat was because he said, I can't just sit here and listen to a sermon after sermon and not do anything about it. That's exactly what we want to happen. I remember walking into the Bible college, New England Bible college, and it said the word something to the effect that that God's word is not for our information, but for what? Transformation. It's to set us apart. This kind of takes the idea from uh, the idea from Exodus forty nine through ten. Listen to what he says: Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it, consecrate it along with all of its furnishings, and it shall be holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and its utensils; consecrate the altar, and it shall be most holy. So, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same word as sanctify. And I love the, the, I love the definition of the Hebrew word there. It means to remove from common use. To be subject to special treatment, or this one is my favorite, to forfeit over to the sanctuary. The more time that we are anointed or saturated in, in the truth of God's Word, the more you and I are going to forfeit our lives over to His purposes. That is the goal. One of the main goals of salvation. That God sets apart for himself a people, not so that we could just gather together and look all pretty and sing some songs and then go home and do nothing. And we see that come forth in the first point that the first key that we see in this passage is our so he develops this idea of sanctification and here we see it's for a very particular purpose. Our sanctification is for his mission. Listen to what he says. As you, so just as God sent Jesus into the world on a very specific mission, for a very specific purpose, I also have sent them into the world. I don't know what it's going to be like up here in August me sweating, (laughs) getting worked up already. So I went home recently on a trip, and I knew it was a special occasion. It was a special occasion because we got to use the fine dining. You guys ever have the fine dining in the house? You know, set aside, you got a little cabinet and all the fine chinas up there, and uh, and it's probably because we had so many people. I don't know if I'm special, and my mom was like, oh, you get the fine china." Right, But we, we, we wouldn't use it that often. But during special occasions, so Easter, Christmas, celebrations, the fine china would come out. We'd eat in the dining room, which we never ate in the dining room. And, and I knew, I was like, oh, this is great. you know. So we're sitting around the table, and it's set aside for what? A very particular purpose. It's functional. It's to be used. But it's set apart from the rest of the what? The china. Now, we also, in our house... So that's the main idea, right? We're set aside, you and I are God's fine china. So we're set apart for his purpose to be used at his will and for what he wants. And to serve, to serve others, to serve Christ as we serve others. We also have this other area in our house. It's called the living room. So we had the dining room, kitchen, living room, family room. Did you guys ever divide your rooms up like that? Yeah. Glory saying, "Yeah." But the funny thing about the living room when I was growing up, that's changed now. No one lived in it. The living room was like a, it was like a mausoleum. It was just like a museum. And, and it was funny because it had the nicest furniture in the world that you'd ever seen. And it's all beautiful. And my mom kept things really, really clean. We used to call the, her, mo- her mom the white glove lady. So my mom followed in a step white glove, you go around, no dust. And this place was immaculate. And it was, it was so well kept, they would put plastic on the furniture. And I'm thinking, and if you sat on that furniture in August on a hot day, you ain't getting up for three hours. You're just sticking. And the whole, the whole point of the living room, it was a misnomer. No one went into the living room. There it was. It was beautiful. It was set apart from the rest of the room's. But it wasn't functional at all. And, and I look at that. Now it is. So don't worry. You come into my house, you're welcome to go in the living room. But I look at that and I see the church sometimes like that. We're all cleaned up. We're all pretty. We're all made holy. And then there we are. We're just sitting around and just collecting dust. And we're not functional. You and I have been saved for a purpose as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them. You have a job to do. You're not just to come to church, you know, and, 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 and gather all the, the accessories to make yourself look all beautiful. We're not just purified. We're not made holy so that we can sit around and admire ourselves. And I got to tell that to myself, too. We have a job, don't we? The main thrust of our sanctification is for service. It is to serve Christ as we serve this world. And we serve Christ by promoting the gospel, by preaching the gospel, by loving our neighbors who don't deserve it. Who don't deserve it. And 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 if we're like that furniture sometimes, maybe we're like, oh, you're too muddy. You're not sitting on me. But but sometimes we have the mindset, and I I pray we never have this mindset in this church. When we come to a church and we say to God, how can you serve me? How can you make my Christian life better? You know, does it have the right nursery? Does it have the right kids programs? Does it have the right worship? What, What can you do for me, Lord? but we need to come with this attitude. Christ, you've sent me into this world. How can I serve you? How can I serve this church? How can I serve my family? You and I, when we are saved, we no longer belong to ourselves. And I think that The more we get that idea into our heads, the more effective we're going to be for His kingdom. We don't belong to ourselves. All of our goals, all of our ambitions, all of our desires, all of our resources, all of our energy, all of our talents, all of our abilities belong to Him. Our youth groups got it right. They belong to Him. Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do work, to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. I'm playing the Zelda game. Again, probably not a great use of time. Probably should be out doing kingdom work, but I'm playing Zelda all my free time to so relax a little bit. And, and you have a set goal in Zelda, right? You have the big primary mission, then you have all these side missions, and the game writers set them beforehand. And you walk in those goals. You, you have to figure out those goals. And I was thinking about that this morning, and I'm like, it's the same thing. You know, we, we've been saved, and God has set a path for us, And along that path is the works that he wants you and I to do, each and every single one of you. Nobody is excluded. Nobody's different. Nobody just takes the path without doing any works. He has a very particular purpose for each and every single one of you. Very particular. To serve your family, to serve your friends, to serve your community, to serve your church, whatever it may be. Isn't that amazing to think that he set these works ahead of time and now we're we're as we follow in obedience and the more that we allow the word to soak into our lives the more you and I are going to walk in those works that he's prepared beforehand. That's your purpose in life. He saved you for a purpose. And it's a purpose when you do these works that those works are going to last for all eternity. They're not going to go away. And so much of the things that we do, we're spending time on what? The temporary. The things that are going to be wasted. He's talking to his disciples. And and I I love what he's saying because he's, he's he's saying that the mission for them has already started. He hasn't even gone to the cross yet. And he's saying, I've sent them into the world, it's already begun. So, were they successful? Did they do what Jesus sent them into the world to do? Well, let's look at the numbers. I, we talked about this last week, and it's in one of Pastor Dave's books. I loved what he said uh, about this, because it's just that profound and amazing how God can work through just a few individuals that are dedicated to Him. He started with 12, you know, after Judas, then 11, then Matthias. just to say, 12. So by the end of the book of Acts, you know how many Christians there were? 200,000. By the 4th century, by Constantine, and where everything went downhill, why? Because the church and state were wed together. By Constantine, 2 million Christians. mission accomplished. Did they do what he sent them to do? Absolutely. And, and I, look, I look at this, this wonderful, beautiful, devoted church, and we can get discouraged sometimes with numbers, can't we? We're like, oh, we're just a small church. You know, we don't have a big budget. <laughs> Did the apostles and the early Christians have a big budget? No, did they have pastors ziplining down and entertaining people and mega churches, carnivals and all? No, 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 their carnival was a bad, right? Their, their coliseum, right? That's how the church grew. So can God use individuals that allow his word to shape their lives and everything they do and then set themselves apart for him? Can he use a church like that? Absolutely. Let's try it. Let's just see what happens. Right? Let's just devote ourselves to Him. Wholly and fully. Every single day. Let's spread the gospel. Let's see if He does something like that again. It's a mindset and it's, it's reminding ourselves of our primary purpose in life. Again, Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is purpose. Christ was sent on a very specific mission to accomplish, and be, to accomplish God's will, to be obedient to God, to be different from this world, to reveal the truth and to die for our sins. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. And the more that you and I soak up this word and, and gather all of our priorities and all of, base all of our decisions and formulate our wisdom from His word, the more you and I are going to set ourselves apart for His work. It's a natural outflow. It's funny because there's a story about a pastor, and he was, he was eating lunch with one of his, his members of the church. And before he could swallow his first bite, the guy said to him, I'm really disappointed you're not preaching the gospel. And the, and the, and the pastor had to, he, I think he might have choked a little bit, because you know what book he was in? He was in the book of Romans. And what the guy meant was you're not preaching the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ so that people are getting saved here on a Sunday morning. And we, we often think of the gospel when we leave it like that. that. That is just the beginning of the gospel, my friends. The gospel starts at the cross and then goes to the resurrection. And sanctification... You and I being set apart for his work is a massive, massive part of the gospel. Being conformed to his image is part of the gospel. Abandoning ourselves to Jesus Christ for the sake of his kingdom, that's the gospel. It's not just getting saved and getting all prettied up getting all made holy and then walking through this world doing whatever we please knowing that we have some fire insurance. The gospel calls us to be his disciples, to die to ourselves and to make ourselves available for God. And the more that you and I spend time in the word hearing that, the more we are going to do just that. And the foundation for our sanctification is, is, is Jesus Christ and what he did. So Jesus' consecration is our foundation. It forms the basis for our being set apart in this world. Listen to what he says. He says, for their sakes, for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. The very fact, so Jesus didn't need to be purified, did he? No, so what is he talking about? He's talking about consecrating or setting himself apart to do God's will, and it's on our behalf, primarily to die for our sins. So a major, major aspect of what Jesus does is the fact that when he dies for our sins, he purifies us and then makes us what? useful to God. We become part of God's kingdom work. We are now ushers. So we're not just saved and then set aside. We're saved, sanctified, purified, and then used by God. That's what he's saying. So we see a few things here. We see the provision. We see the power, the pattern, and the purpose. If you can think of another P, I'll give you a buck. But but mainly you see the purpose behind it was that Jesus dies for our sins and he makes us a a people for God so that God can use us in his kingdom. Everything that we say, so Jesus is talking about, this is Old Testament sacrificial language. Jesus was both the high priest and the sacrifice without blemish. And he offered himself on behalf of our sins, for our sins. And that cleansing, that justification, now creates a people for God and for his kingdom so that we can then live out the truth. It's like the the very basics of our salvation. And no matter what we do in life, whenever we see commands or examples, we always have to go back to the cross. That's where it begins. That's where our power is, is, is from. Apart from the work of Jesus Christ, you and I are not sanctified. We're not purified. We're not justified. We're not glorified. So the power to do that is found in the cross as well. And we said the primary idea here is purpose, without a doubt, but it, it it is connected to our moral purity. So we cannot be used of God if I'm what? Stained or blemished, right? So the sacrifice was without blemish. Jesus died for what? Sin. So we can honestly say that sin is what? A hindrance to what? Being useful, isn't it? Paul says this in 2 Timothy, and he says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of what? Honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. I don't know about you, but one of uh, Sarah and I's biggest pet peeves is uh, dirty silverware in restaurants. How many people hate dirty silverware in restaurants? Yeah, I hope everyone raised their hand, please. If not, I know what to serve you if you come over to my house. So you would think, you would think, right, they have one job, and that's to make an environment That is, you know, very accommodating, and very nice, where people enjoy what? Food. So you would would hope that the delivery vessel of that food would be clean. But 76% say it's the number one problem in restaurants. And if you guys had plans afterwards, I'm sorry. But you can blame your pastor if you keep swapping out the utensils if you're going to a restaurant after this. But there are some times, and you're like, and I think they misunderstood when they say, I'll have what they're having, not what they had. I don't want it on my fork. Can you please take that back? But we, we, we understand that in, in life, but do we understand it spiritually? Because the reflection of the, the silverware is on the, ho- is on the owner, isn't it? It's on the restaurant, it's on the chain, and you say, "I'm not eating at that restaurant anymore but but many many times Christians are out there serving and we're covered with spinach and stuff we're just we're we're, we're covered with what sin and when we're covered with sin we are unusable for God's work and I think we have to understand that like so many times I've, I've come across lives, Christian lives, and I've seen that sin really, really hinders people's ministry. It hinders their joy, and it hinders their usefulness to God. And he doesn't mean perfection. But we constantly need to go to him be cleansed of those sins, be reminded of those sins in His Word, and then obey. Allowing the truth to shape our lives, to purify our hearts, confessing our sins so that you and I can be of use to Him. Because if not, if we're in a pattern of habitual sin, if you and I are willfully sinning against God, He's just going to put us aside. Why would He, why would he use a dirty fork. And again, it doesn't mean perfection. But if we're allowing a habitual sin to impact our lives and we're not giving that up, he's not why would he use us? Christ died for sin. He died for sin so that you and I can serve. And it goes beyond the purity as well, because in, in, in what Christ does is a pattern for us to follow, isn't there? His path was a path of what? It was a path of suffering. Jesus' life of obedience, his life of consecration, is a pattern for us to follow. And for us to understand that it is part and parcel of our Christian walk. That in our service, in our consecration, we are most likely going to suffer. Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. He was constantly attacked, he was constantly ridiculed. He was beaten, and He was nailed to a cross. That's what our consecration looks like. You know, but many, I think a lot of times, and myself included, we come to God with our own terms, and we say, I'm willing to serve you if, (laughs) you know, I don't want anyone yelling at me if I'm going to preach the gospel. I, I want everyone to like me. I don't want to preach the gospel. I don't want to serve you if it requires me to to be uncomfortable, Lord. I don't want to serve you if it interferes with my time playing Zelda. I don't want to serve you if it interferes with my, my relationships in life. And that's a big one. Sometimes we allow other relationships to trump that relationship, and we'd rather serve people and idols in our life than serve him. And we have all of these stipulations. and Jesus is saying, "It's not why I came. I didn't come so that you could be partially set apart. I didn't come so that you can compartmentalize your faith. I didn't come so that you can come to church on a Sunday and then sin Monday through Saturday. That's not why I came. It's not why I consecrated myself. I consecrated myself so that you can die to yourself, so that you can die to sin, and so that you can present your bodies to God, to be used of Him to accomplish His work, not your own priorities. E. Margaret Clarkson. Wrote a hymn. It's called So I Send You. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that one. It kind of sums up what Jesus is saying. So I send you to labor unrewarded, to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, and unknown, to bear rebuke, to suffer scorn and scoffing. So I send you to toil for me alone. I send you to bind the bruised and broken, over-wandering souls to work, to weep, to wake, to bear the burdens of a world aweary. so I send you to suffer for my sake. So I send you to loneliness and longing, with a heart hungering for the loved and known, forsaking home and kindred, friend and dear one. So I send you to know my love alone. So I send you to leave your life's ambition, to die to dear desire, self-will resign, to labor long in love where men revile you. So I send you to lose your life in mine. I send you to hearts made hard by hatred, to eyes made blind because they will not see, to spend, though be it, blood, to spend and spare not so i send you to taste of calvary that's where he sends us the more that you and i are in his word the more we will know of his life and the more that we will be transformed into his image and allow ourselves to be given over to His purposes. I want you to do an experiment maybe. Maybe in the next couple weeks. Next month or so. Keep reminding yourself of this passage. Keep going into the Word. Dig into the Word even deeper. And see what happens in your hearts, in your minds, and in your attitudes. Because I think the more that we're in his word, the more we're going to respond like some of our youth are doing right now. Here I am. Send me. God's word sets us apart for his work. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom. We thank you that you can use broken vessels like us. We thank you for the power of the cross, that we are made pure, not because of what we do, because of what Christ has done for us. But Lord, help us to remember this truth that you came to gather yourself a people for yourself and for your purposes. And Lord, I ask you, I ask that through your Holy Spirit and through your word that you do a mighty work in all of our hearts, myself included. Lord, that we allow your word to shape our lives and that we walk in the sphere of that truth every single day. That we allow it to guide our decisions, influence our priorities and goals. And Lord, that we just give ourselves completely over to you as your son did for us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.